Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Romance at a Glance, Authors at a Glance. Guys, we have a very exciting author interview today. I'm Bridget, and with me is my co-host, Shani. Hi, Shani. Hi, Bridget. Are you excited about this interview? Because I was very excited uh, when her people reached out to my people, which was me, and they said, do you want to have her on the show? And I was like, "Ah, yes, I do. Do you want a free copy of the book? And I was like, "Ah, yes, I do. And then they gave me a copy of the book. And guess what? They sent me two copies, which means that I am going to ravel one off to you guys. Life is exciting. I'm very excited, especially because I had to like low-key creep into this interview. Shawnee had some technical difficulties, you guys. And so... After we come back from the commercial break, you will notice a little chuckle from Shawnee, another chuckle from Shawnee, and then Shawnee will ask a question. Uh, I promise that we did have a little moment where we introduced Shawnee to Jennifer in the middle of the interview, but I felt that we could just cut that out. You guys don't, you guys didn't need that. You didn't need the interlude. So just enjoy the second half with Shawnee. (laughs) It was great though. I really, really enjoyed her. And if you haven't guessed which Jennifer we're talking about, we are talking about the New York Times bestselling author, Jennifer Armentrout. She is the author of the Flesh and Fire series, the Blood and Ash series. And you guys, she has written over 70 books. And I don't know if you knew this, but she has written a ton of romance novels. She's here to talk about her latest book, A Fire in the Flesh, which comes out today on Halloween. And we were so, so, so excited to have her on the podcast. It was Honestly, one of my favorite interviews we've done, we talked about mental health of characters and how you can have like this awesome badass heroine who also you can identify with because maybe she just struggles with anxiety or depression or ADHD or all kinds of things that we all struggle with. And I thought she was just a goddamn delight. There is a lot of stuff that we had to cut out for time and we sent it to Patreon. So if you guys would like to hear more from Jennifer, more from us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash romance at a glance and you can check out some more clips from the interview. Okay, Bridget, I'm so excited. Okay, we gotta get into this interview because the people can wait no longer. Okay, so let's do this. Let's get a pop. Let's get a pop in. Romance at a glance. Uh huh. Romance at a glance. What you say now? Romance. I've read a bunch of your books. Let me just start there. I've Mm -hmm. read, you know, probably eight or 10 of your books, but I didn't realize that you have published like 70 books. (laughs) That is wild because you've only been publishing now for what, like 14 years or so, 15 years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, my first book came out in 2011. So it's it's 12 going on 13. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that is, first of all, incredible to even write that many books just ever. But like how I just I think how is the question like just how I don't think I have any other side points, but like how, you know, I look back at that and sometimes I'm like, how did I do that? <laughs> like even now, like I it kind of reminds me of like when I was in college and I had a part time job, I had an internship and I still managed to go to the gym every day. And I was like how did I do that? Because I, I would only be able to do one of those things now. <laughs> like, and I think, you know, and this is going to sound kind of strange. So I have always had, you know, probably since I was a, a, a child, ADHD. And one thing with it is that I would have is hyper fixation or focus tunnel vision. And for a, the longest time that actually helped me. Because I would get hyper focused on writing. And so I would be able to sit there and just, I mean, have what would be like astronomical word counts for sitting there. And that helped. And so I, you know, and normally you don't hear me say that about ADHD because it has now turned on me and became the opposite of that. But I do, yeah. So I, you know, you go through cycles with that where you do the hyper fixation helps. And then, then it's like, oh God, time to get on some medicine. This is not working. Yeah. And it's, but I think that helped, but also like I bore very easily and writing actually keeps me entertained because <laughs> I'm the type of person of like, again, ADHD, idle hands. I cannot not be doing something. So even when I'm like, I'm going to take some time off, I end up start w- working again because mm-hmm. I just, I'm not, the, I just can't sit still. <laughs> I can't. You know, I got to be constantly doing something. But as my career has progressed and I've gotten older, yeah, I I used to be able to write like eight books a year. I can't. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, you're still writing 
three? Two, yeah, about three? sometimes three, sometimes two, sometimes four. But now that I've been writing so much fantasy, that, you know, that, yeah, you, two to three books a year, because that just is a different ballpark of writing. Um, and it For takes sure. a lot longer to finish a book. Yeah, I mean, I have your finished book here. Very cute. And it is 590 pages, I think. So, yeah, it's definitely different than like a 300 page book. Yeah. Plus all the world building. So when you're writing across like different genres or different series, do you find that you're that's part of that like hyper fixation where you're like, oh, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm done with this series for now. I want to jump to this other one because something like intrigued me with that storyline. Yeah. And, you know, and that, and that can be sometimes a bit of a problem because like I've learned that if I start to get a new idea, I have to stop myself from even really thinking about it because then I want, I want to stop what I'm doing and I want to write that. And it can kind of damage what you're working on because it starts to taint your excitement. And I also have learned, you know, the shiny new idea, at least for me. And I do think a lot of authors is just a procrastination tool. It's just because usually you get these new ideas when the book you're working on is getting hard. And, and, you know, cause start for me, starting a book is easy. It's getting past those first couple of chapters or, for always for me, I call it the mid book crisis, where it's like you get to the middle of the book, you hate everything about it. You, you're going to kill every single character and be like, plot twist, <laughs> starting over. Um, and then the shiny new idea pops in. And I've learned that, you know, that's a procrastination tool nine times out of 10. But it does, but it does help switching genres because, you know, it helps me keep interest, you know, th- that I'm not getting like bored or burned out on one thing so you know it's kind of like a palate cleanser like when you you know I used to always write like if I wrote a paranormal I wrote a contemporary next and I would flip like that um each time I just haven't been able to do that the last couple years um but that always did help too is switching back and forth yeah I call it per pro uh, productive procrastination yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm like well i don't want to do this one chore so i will clean out the entirety of my pantry and wipe yes. it all off which i need to do anyways it's dirty yeah. i mean it's not like i don't need to do it it's just i didn't need to do it today um so when you're writing like all these very expansive worlds mm-hmm. before you start do you already have an inkling of like, what's the rules of magic or what's the rules of the fantasy? What's the rules of the world? Or do you kind of write? And then as you're going, you kind of establish, okay, I like those rules. And then you kind of go back with the editor and make sure that everything is, is fitting in that. You know, I wish I, I wish I was one of those people who could come up with everything before I even start writing. I am so envious of authors who can actually do a legit like outline synopsis. I will have like a general idea of certain world building or magic stuff, like a, a general idea of what I want like characters to be capable of um, or like what we're dealing with. But beyond that, a lot of it comes to me as I'm writing. And if I'm writing contemporary that doesn't have magic or like paranormal that does, it's, it's a lot easier, right? Because you're dealing usually within some level of reality. You did not create the rules of the entire world. Um, but with fantasy, it is more difficult because you are building that world. You're also creating the rules. And if you're like me, who is a bit of a pantser, you end up writing yourself into like plot holes or plot corners and and then yes that 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 you can never like thank your editor enough or like and usually it's like the copy editor at that point too who has with my fantasy books they have um bibles that kind of track everything because i don't even remember half the stuff at some point like it's you know when you write so much of it you're kind of like oh man like did i say this And, and then you think about the stuff that gets taken out of the book but you still think it's there because you remember writing it, you know, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I have like the bare bones basically, but then a lot of it comes to me as I'm writing and you have those moments where you're like, 
please let this work. <laughs> like, you know, and then, you know, and lots of times it does, but then there's other times where it's like, okay, this actually doesn't work. So I either need to figure out how to make it work or I need to let it go that this is just made table that for a different book. I mean, that's one of the things I like about your books is that there's a consistency. I don't ever feel like I'm reading book three and I'm like, wait a minute. They can't do that. Like, you know, or when all of a sudden someone does something and you're like, or, or my least favorite, which is you establish they have like some power or whatever. And then you're like, later in the book, you're like, can you just use your power to get out of this? Like, what's your power for? Yeah. And Uh, that's something that I always try to keep in the back of my mind, especially when you're dealing with like God-like creatures, right? It's like, you have to establish like, you know, what are their limitations? Like, you know, and so that, you know, if you're going to end up having them in a situation where you know, they're going to need help or, well, we can't solve this. And meanwhile, you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) why can't you solve that? It's yeah. You always got to establish the limitations of, of those types of characters. The other thing I love about your books is that the female main characters are a main characters, but also that they're like badasses in their own right. So even when they're like, to your point in this series, she's a human being, um, sort of um yeah. <laughs> i don't spoil too much sort of um but she like is trained her whole life to be a badass so she's like can fight with knives she can fight with swords she can fight with her hands she can kill you a million different ways like at no point in the series is it ever like oh like i'm fighting against this person and i don't know how to fight or i'm a damsel yeah. in distress like she's like you know with her teeth and nails like gonna fight yeah. you um how do you sort of like how do you craft that to make that also like a well-rounded person because she's not just like a vicious little bulldog for lack of a better (laughs) phrase she's also you know has feelings and has emotions which she is sort of discovering throughout the series yeah like one of my like I of course like I love I love badass lady characters right men who can get up there and can take a guy two times their size down because you know those people do exist in real life and also are like very underestimated because you just have like these gender norms of what they're capable of doing. Um, also, I would love to be able to do half those stuff in real life. You, I'd be like, I'm going to be the person going to be like, nope, <laughs> going to just nope right out of this situation. Um, but like one of the things I like to bring into my characters is because you know, while Sarah, Poppy, and if you go even farther back, my older series, Alex, Ivy, Layla, like, you know, back into, you know, years ago, is while they are so fun to read, and they can still be relatable, but like I said, I can't do any of that stuff. Like, you know, if I tried it, I would get killed in five seconds. I mean, actually, <laughs> the villain would just laugh at me and be like, what, what are you doing? Go somewhere. Um, I think the villain actually ended up being a hero because they'd be like, go sit down over there. So it's like, so I want to make them, you know, still relatable. And I think a lot of that then comes into with the personality building and, and, and who they are. One of the things I like to include, you know, is a lot of mental health stuff in with it because one of my biggest like soapboxes, and I do think we're getting better at this, but, you know, when you look back, even a couple of years ago, if you had a book that had a character like depression, anxiety, anything like that, um, that was pretty much what the book was about. That was the sum of who they were. If they had, if they were in a romance, uh, it was toxic because of course it's going to be because they have this mental health issues. If they have sex, well, of course it's going to be again, toxic. And it would be very frustrating for me from my own personal experience and also coming from the field of psychology is what I went to school for and worked in for a while is that it was like sending these unintentional messages that if you have depression, anxiety, ADHD, you're neurodivergent, that's going to be the sum of who you are. You're not going to have a happy romance. You surely are not going to be a badass because everything's going to focus on that. And that is what I wanted to show with like some of these characters that like Sarah, yes, she has anxiety. She has depression and she, you know, she, I do have a lot of um, some of my traits are in her, like with the ADHD. I feel like some people have caught on with that, that she can tend to be very like rambly. Um, And 
you know, but it's not the sum of who she is. It is, you know, she, it's a part of who she is, but it's not the sum. And I think that is what helps make them relatable because I feel like a lot of us can see parts of yourself in these characters and, you know, and hopefully, you know, see that, yeah, I can have anxiety, depression, whatever, but I can still have fully functional relationships with people and still kick ass. And, you know, I think a lot of that is what makes them more real, like a real Mm -hmm. person, because we're not the sum of just one part of us. I agree. We talk a lot about that because we primarily review romance novels or YA, like I love YA fantasy and paranormal that also has like a romantic uh, storyline. And we call that letting the issue overshadow the romance. (laughs) I'm like, it's fine if there's any issue, whether it's an outside force, an internal force, as long as that's just like part of their character, a little nugget on the shoulder, not the whole story in in a romance, especially or in a fantasy, especially because I want, you know, I want as a reader that to be a part of the tapestry. I don't want it to only be that because otherwise I would read a book that is like specifically about that. Yeah. Thing. And, and there's a place for that, right? There, there's, you know, like you, something, for example, would be like a woman's fiction book. It would be, mm-hmm. you know, something like that or literary fiction or, or it, you know, or any other genre. But I just, you know, I always felt like if you saw characters who had anything like that, that was it really, right? Like, it, it's like there was, there was nothing, like it was, it was, everything seemed to be colored by that. And And again, again, it's like, I think we've got, we've, we're getting so much better on that, you know, as there are improvements being made also in representation across the board, we all have a long way to go with that, but I do think we're seeing improvements, but yeah, it's just, I want it because I just think about myself, especially when I was writing young adult or even as a young slash adult that, I mean, I would have loved to read you know, something where a character had depression, but they, you know, it, it, but they still like what most people do with depression, they get up every day and they live, they live with it. And instead of it becoming this thing that always is a disruptor. And of course there's going to be times where it is, but it's, it was never showing that, yeah, it's going to be a disruptor, but it's not going to be it, that that's not going to be all that you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've never asked anyone this, but it just popped into my brain that, so you write fantasy novels, mm-hmm. but technically there are young adult fantasy novels. And I wonder like, what is the distinction between a young adult fantasy novel versus a fantasy novel? Cause it seems to me, and this might just be like me being jaded, but it seems to me that a lot of it is like, does it have a female protagonist or not? (laughs) Because I was just recently reading, um, uh, what did I say? I was recently reading Red Rising and Red Rising has a teenage boy as the main character at the beginning. Obviously all the characters grow up, but, um, and I was like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a YA fantasy if you, think of it like if she if it was a female character i think it would probably be a wife fantasy is that is that maybe <laughs> no, jaded or is that true you know, no it's true it's 100 the case um no so you know one thing with like the flesh and fire series i would say that would be technically like new adult um forging it into adult because of the character's age um she is uh oh my god i'm like i'm gonna have to think about it. i think 2021 poppy from from blood and ash technically would be young could be young adult now the subject matter there may be some problems there <laughs> like however <laughs> you're 100 percent right if it's written so go back like i mean i don't even think you have to go back five years ago yeah you fantasy has always been heavily dominated by male writers and almost never i don't want to say never rarely had a relationship as a positive thing in the book <laughs> like it's usually like these ain't gonna end well um and women were often not the main characters um they could be in some of them like one of the main passive characters right but they're not female driven they're not female-led and but the moment yeah that you have 
And I think it's a lot of it when it's a, a woman writing it and it's a woman main character and there's romance. It's automatically viewed as for younger people, right? And, there, and, and, and these are the same people who also don't understand the value of young adult. Like they think young adult books are more simplistic. And it's like, tell me, you know, without telling me you've never read a young adult book. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, and, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And this is, or, and same people who view romance books as basic trash, basically trash books, you know, and it's, I, I think you will find they have the same thoughts about all of that. But yeah, I mean, and it's only been like, I want to say in the last couple of years that you really started to see um, fantasy books that had that were fantasy romance actually being shelved in the adult fantasy section. And some of it is because, you know, there's a lot of different things that do decide the difference between the genres. It's not always like the sex that's in books. Like people think that's it. It's not. Um, Obviously, you have to be more careful and more appropriate with what you're writing um, in case the younger end of your audience picks up the book. But it's, you know, it's a lot of it is like what they're facing, right? Is this a coming of age story? What other influences? It's like young adult is mostly like how I feel about the world. And then you start getting into new adult and adult. It's like, well, what is my place in this world type of thing? And but yeah, you're a hundred percent spot on. <laughs> it's, it, it is, it's something that like you would look at this and be like, hmm. <laughs> and I think like Sarah Mass is like one of the ones with uh, Thorn of Roses, right? That got put back into young adult because they couldn't, you know, there was no, it, the book series originally supposed to be new adult. There was no new adult shelf space. And they were, you know, the booksellers were like, well, we can't put it into adult fantasy. So they put, so it had to be YA. But my, and everybody I'm sure at that time was, you know, thinking, but why can't? Now I feel like it's a, at least from my perspective as a reader, it's a benefit, I think, to be in YA fantasy because it is so popular. Mm-hmm. Like I will go to those shelves and the, first of all, I think the cover art is always better. Yeah. Like there is no shelf space in in anywhere in a library or in a bookstore that is as beautiful as a YA fantasy shelf. (laughs) And, um, and now of course, like, I know like those are the stories that I want to read. You know what I mean? So like, I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, all, all the authors I like will all be in the same section, uh, versus having to like comb through, like you said, a lot of books where there's no female characters necessarily. And that doesn't take away from the fact that I have read an enormous amount of fantasy and science fiction. Um, and I'm just thinking of like back in the day, like I would read like Mercedes Lackey or Anne McCaffrey. And those books always had like a really good blend of like romance. And I mean, the tale was there, you guys, it was there from my early childhood reading choices. Um, and so I feel like that is always been like sprinkled in. Um, but it's nice that now that. Yeah. And also I do think fantasy romance has because a lot of people now are like the new genre of fantasy romance and i'm over here like banging my head into a wall like what do you mean new genre like it's not new we didn't just discover this like it's been here it's just been called something different paranormal it's like it's paranormal romance or back in the day they called um like you know fantasy fantasy that took place in our world that but it was different they used to call it urban fantasy. Urban fiction. Yeah, urban yeah. Fantasy. and then I think now they call it like contemporary or magical realism or something. I don't know. They, they keep changing it, but it's like, no, these, these books have been here. They've just been called something else. Um, and instead of being called, you know, what they were, which was fantasy romance. But it's like, every time I see someone say, oh, this new genre, I'm like, what? No, it's not a new genre. It's been there for a long time. Yeah, I, I think that's so funny because I've been reading literally all the fantasy romance, even back to like, you know, Tamora Pierce. Like I would be like, you know, if a Tamora Pierce book is out and there's like an inkling of a fan, like a romance inside of that book, I'm going to eat that book up. Like anytime there is just like that little tinge. My husband makes fun of me because we'll be watching something and I'll be like, oh yeah, this is a pretty good show. And then there's like, there'll be like a look between two actors and I'm like, Ooh, it's going down. It's going down. I'm invested now. I am invested. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm, something I was thinking about when you mentioned young adult, 
it just kind of popped in my head. It's like, I think the reason why fantasy romance, like despite like characters ages or whatever is often associated with YA is because I think the adult genre is heavily dominated by actual romantic fantasies. Like where, you know, and it's like the room, you know, even if the romance isn't necessarily the front plot, you know, you can go all the way back to like, Raceling and, and like all, I mean like when you when you also like my gosh when I first started out and then some of them were called dystopians but in reality it's like I think these are more fantasy because I don't know how we would end it up here like in, in this dystopian world um, because there'll be like blood magic or something involved and I'm like but well, I don't think that's dystopian <laughs> but they would be called dystopian um, I think that's probably why you see young adult come up so much is because that is the main category that had a lot of these books existing. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I absolutely, yeah. Like I'm thinking like Mary Lou, when she put out hers, I think they were all called dystopians as well. And legend, legend and stuff. Yeah. And I, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about obviously romance. Cause that's, you know, our thing that we love. So I think one thing that you do really well is, the sort of push and pull and banter of a character coming together that aren't necessarily like on paper, maybe the perfect bit, but there's something there. There's that, that kind of like sizzle despite perhaps what they want or circumstances or, or maybe even one's a God and one's not, we don't know, but how, how do you, like craft that is that something that is easy for you to flow through or is that something that you kind of struggle with no it's something that i love to read in books i i love that tension right that push and pull i like i like when as a reader and also i like doing this as an author but as you're reading and you just want to grab the two heads and be like just kiss now good i love that right i love that tension and a lot of that I feel like comes naturally when you do have a sort of enemies to lover because you can then, you know, you have that conflict already established, but you can get some really good banter from that. And it's, it's something that I love to read. So it's what I like to write. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it comes easy for me. I mean, most of the time it comes natural, but not always because sometimes like, you know, you, you can't just have banter for the sake of banter, right? Because then it just seems out of place and, you know, forced. And sometimes like, or when you need it, you just can't really come up with something that is actually like, okay, this is going to be something that's either going to make readers laugh or, you know, whatever. Um, so there are moments, <laughs> 100%, where I'm, I struggle with it. And usually that can be a sign that there's a bigger problem with the scene itself, kind of. Um, But I, you know, I always, I feel like I grew up watching first, like, Buffy and um, then Supernatural. And so, you know, how in both of those shows, like, the world could be ending and someone still says something completely idiotically hilarious. And they quip all the time. Quip, quip, quip. Attention breaker. (laughs) Yeah. And that's always been, like, I love that, right? I think that's why I love those shows so much. And I, I feel like that's probably where I got a lot of the inspiration from of, or wanting that. So um, I feel like it's just being exposed to that growing up. Dear Romance Besties, if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash romance at a glance to check out our awesome perks, including stickers, watching movies with us, naughty book boxes, and you can even be on the show. Can't be a patron? You can still support the show by purchasing books or things we recommend through our affiliate links on our show notes and our dope-ass website. Thanks for the commish. Or you can leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts. And also, now that I mentioned Supernatural, I'm like, oh, I want to watch Supernatural. <laughs> I know, dude. I'm like, as you're like, Buffy's my favorite show probably of all time. And I'm like, do I need to rewatch Buffy? Because I, I was reading somewhere that you like to have... Um, like TV on in the background while you're writing or something like that. I am that person. Like I will just like have my laptop separately set up from my computer and it will just run through shows all day movies. What soundtrack do I want to listen to? Cause it's really like, it's, I don't really watch it. Cause I already know all the beats. Cause I'm watching something I've already seen before. It's just occupying enough of my brain that I can 
and like, also keep the ADHD at, yeah. at bay, <laughs> you know, yeah. keep grounds out the rest of the world so that I can actually yeah, focus. I can't play something in the background I've never watched before because then I'm no. paying attention to it. <laughs> but, you know, yes. but I, I will, I will go through cycles and I will watch, like I'll put on the background, like just <laughs> the weirdest selection of things, but usually it's stuff that I've seen a couple times so that, you know, I know it's not going to be a distraction to me at the same time. But again, yeah, it drowns out like all the other noise and it allows, um, you know, for me to concentrate. And when that doesn't work is usually when I listen to music. Um, and so it's so I can, you know, help the music can help me concentrate. But I, I do. I play like I, I've ran Supernatural in the background. I a couple of years ago, I did the whole Buffy and then I then I went to Angel I had to stop and I, I can't do that now again because there's so much of that I don't remember. Oh, so then okay. I find myself watching it because I'm like, I don't even remember this like kind of thing. Um, I would do, sometimes I would play Game of Thrones in the background, uh, The Walking Dead. Then I sometimes switch over to like paranormal stuff and I'll have like the dead files um, from the chat travel channel playing. Uh, also, this just reminds me, I took a picture of my office once um to share on social media and I I wasn't paying I just didn't think about what I was watching and in the background I was I was I was uh watching autopsy life and death of <laughs> and my just, favorite show I love that show but it's my favorite show sometimes the guy they're so unnecessarily dramatic they're like well what did he die from I think it's obvious <laughs> like like it's a car accident like I think it's blunt force trauma to the body I think that's it like you know but i love that show and like and but it was like something was on the screen that had like i think it was like a death a death certificate was on the screen and people are like what are you watching and i was like oh that's like it's autopsy of life and death of what are you what are you reading do you i mean you write obviously a lot but are you also able to at the same time read do you read in the same like, are you able to read in the same genre or do you, like you said earlier, like kind of switch out to a different genre so you can cleanse the palate? Yeah, I have to switch out because if I'm writing fantasy, I can't read fantasy. And it's mainly because my brain, I can't enjoy it. My brain won't shut down. Inevitably, I'm comparing my writing to what I'm reading. Um, and I don't want to be unintentionally influenced by what I'm reading because, again, like there are almost all fantasies have very similar like elements to them or world building right there's there's a lot of similar elements in most fantasies just like there's similar elements in contemporaries and, and mystery and thriller so it's like i don't want to be like intentionally unintentionally influenced which can, i feel like can happen if you're reading something that can ultimately be similar to what you're writing um but also it's like i i want to i don't want to feel like i'm working so i will usually <laughs> be reading out of a, a different genre what I tend to go to a lot is historical romance um, because I don't write that. And it is like, you know, it's like, I'm not going to come across really much of anything that I'm going to be writing in it. Um, so I do like to, to read that. You don't have a scene where someone, someone takes a glove off and they're instantly right. overcome with lust for a wrist. Right, so they see an ankle. <laughs> you know, though, we talk about, like, we always talk about how, fan how fantasy and historical kind of overlap for us because it, each one lets us uh, like let go of contemporary, let let go of like what's the norm and what's whatever. Um, also, like historical in fantasy, there is a lot of like pomp and circumstance that I think mirrors historical all the time, like ritual um, that's in there. So I could definitely see like going to historical to just like kind of zen out, but also have like an undercurrent that is um, like yeah. Oh, and I do think there are you know, similarities there in the, in the way like people dress, um, customs or like how people interact within a society. You do find a lot in historical. Um, and I, you know, I, so I think a lot of times like we, I think are inspired by that. Uh, especially when you start going into like Regency era or middle, anything that would take place in like the medieval times. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I think it's, it's close enough that, you know, there's stuff in it that I enjoy, but for me, what makes it so different is the writing style is because historicals are almost always in third person. 
and they they also have a more more like prosy writing style it's more of elaborate right there's a lot more um descriptive word usages and i don't write like that so i mean it's so I, I think that also has, you know, that I think is probably almost like the main thing is that if the writing is not like mine, it helps me shut down. Um, but also, I mean, there, there has been times where I'd be bloat. I would have to read a fantasy um, for like a blurb or something while I'm working. And, you know, almost always I, I walk away being like, well, I suck. <laughs> it's like, it's like, cause you disagree. like one of the recent ones I read is, um, hurricane wars or the hurricane wars and i mean she is just an amazing writer like she is um like you have like i feel like there's two types of author well there's three types there is a person who is a good storyteller then there's a person who is a good writer and then there's the unicorn right who is both and she is a unicorn (laughs) like she is like one of those people where you're reading it and you're like every word makes sense like every there's a reason for every word um but also telling this amazing story and you know i think of myself as a good storyteller <laughs> you know to be like and uh, i'm not a unicorn so like yeah so sometimes when i've had to read some of these books i'm like damn it i suck <laughs> like, <laughs> in my corner <laughs> and like but yeah so if you haven't read the hurricane wars yet i have not it just it looks like it just came out so i will have to check that one out um, so I have a question for you, because you write a lot, but then also you have a polycon. So <laughs> you have a whole convention that you do with with writers and readers. Uh, one, can you tell me a little bit about this? And two, where do you have, where do you find the time? To- <laughs> I, I have, I have a, a, a team of people that are paid <laughs> to, to uh, really handle a lot of the intricate stuff of the polycon. Um, if I was solely responsible for it, it would be a mess. It would be, it, it, I mean, it wouldn't even be still happening. I would have been like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't have time. Um, a polycon started out very, very small in 2015, I think. Um, yeah, 2015. And it was mainly because I had a new book coming out. And as like most authors, like doing bookstore signings are really fun, but also terrifying because it's like, no matter where you are in your career, how successful or not successful you may be, you're eventually going to have a bookstore signing where nobody comes to. (laughs) And you're just sitting there like, oh God. And I was kind of like, oh, well, why don't I just be miserable with other people? (laughs) Like, you know, to be all be miserable together. And so I had, I had gotten originally, like most of the authors who were at the first Apollicon were authors that I knew um, or had met at one time. And it was, I think, 50 authors, and maybe we had, like, 500, 600 attendees. Um, and it was only, like, a signing and an after party. It was just a one-day event. And then, of course, it grew over the years to become what is really a convention now at this point. Uh, I think next year we are now um, – so previously, COVID kind of threw a wrench and all that. But previously – we had, we, we started to creep into having events on the Thursday. And, but I think 2024 is the first year that we almost have a full schedule, I think on Thursday. So we're now up to three and a half days of everything. And then eventually it'll creep into Wednesday, probably a little bit more. And, and we do that because as the event grows, we do get a lot more interest from publishers, from other people in the industry who want to hold events. And you only have so much time <laughs> to schedule these things. Um, so, you know, as long as the interest is there, we'll keep growing it. Um, and I mean, it is, it, it is a lot of stress planning it. Um, even the, the little part that I do, I mean, I, I probably downplay how much I am involved in it, but like, I, I, you know, I don't have to do like the, the hotel negotiations, the contract negotiations. I don't do the schedule. Um, you know, I don't handle the social media part of it. I'm mostly, I like to say I have, I have um, the veto power. Um, Cause we, like, if you ask like Steph, um, Stephanie Brown or Matt or Melissa or Vicky, they would say it's a gen, a genocracy. <laughs> like where it's like, you know, I have ultimate like no or yes to something because ultimately I am the one paying for stuff when it, you know, we, cause again, that's nothing with events. 
I don't think people realize don't make money off of them. And if you are making money off of them, congrats. <laughs> I would like to know how you're doing it. Um, but like every year, we're still almost always in the negative, um, even with a sold out event, because there's all these hotels. Oh my gosh, the things they charge you for is and how much they charge you like for a microphone you don't want to know how much a microphone costs and if they see you with your own microphone they're going to charge you for a microphone um anyways because you brought it in and um i mean you're looking at in some cases three four thousand dollars for a microphone and so like and because you know that also includes the sound and also includes having a person at the hotel who can help you with any type of problems with your sound, but I can guarantee that person is, you can never find them. <laughs> I don't think they work there. <laughs> like it's just, it, it, and so what happens when you get the final bill every year, it, it, it can be, it can be scary. Um, but it's, I think with all the stress that's involved, it is worth it though, because you get to bring authors and readers together and, and in an event that allows them to interact with them in certain like little parties that can be held. You get to hear them speak on panels and then you get the signings. And also it's good for authors to be around other authors, right? Because being a writer is such an isolating job at times where it's just you, your computer, your dogs, your cats, you know, and whatever else may be coming in and out of the room. But even if you're not alone, you're in your head and that, and you're almost sometimes constantly in your head or in the zone and it can be very isolating. And when you get to come together with people who are doing and experiencing the same things as you, it's very, it can rejuvenate. you. And there used to be, I don't know how, if you guys did a lot of events in the past, but if you did, or you just may be aware, there used to be a lot of events. There used to be a lot, like as a reader or an author, you had a lot to choose from. Like, um, LA, like California, I feel like has always been a hit or miss with events because it is more expensive. The hotels and stuff there are a little bit out of control sometimes, like price wise. Um, but like there used to be ones that would take place almost every year, like in Anaheim, there was one, um, you have y'all West, I think is still happening. Um, you know, you also in Chicago, you would, there used to be always events in Chicago because that seemed like a good middle place. It seemed like a lot of people went to, um, but a lot of them are, they no longer happen. Like they, those, those cons or signings are gone. So, it, and it's yeah, sad. Especially with, especially with COVID too. Cause I just moved to Chicago during COVID. And like you said, there used to be like three really big, romance specific even ones in Chicago and one of them started up again but I haven't maybe they're going to do 2024 I don't know but I haven't um I haven't seen an announcement yet yeah it's it, like it's a lot of work I mean, it's a lot of work. organize it and do it yeah yeah and when you and not to get too in the weeds with it but like I, th I think something a lot of people didn't realize is that events that were planned to be held like in 2020 and 2021, these hotels fought tooth and nail to not allow you out of those contracts or to postpone it, even in places where states of emergency were declared and then a federal emergency where it's like, sorry, hotel, <laughs> it's no longer your choice. They still would fight you on it because and a part of me, I understood it, right? Because they were bleeding money. And I think if you even go to a hotel now, you can see the effects of that. Um, just, you know, just basic upkeep, even in some of the really nice hotels, you can see where this act, this really hurt the industry. But that, I think, really left a bad experience for a lot of event organizers because these hotels will typically, you know, attempt to scare you into like extending that contract without, you know, unless, you know, if you don't know that they really can't do that, or if you don't maybe have the extra income to say, I'll set that money on fire before I, like, you know, before I give you that money type of situation. But I think it did, it did, you know, it made it harder um, to do events afterwards because a lot of stuff also have increased in price afterwards. And, um, you see a lot of them had just, you know, they were like, 
this is no longer, you know, the, the pros no longer out, outweigh the cons of it. But I do hope many of them come back. I hope BA comes back. You know, I, I still yeah. can't believe that went down. I mean, it's just, I mean, because that's a freaking BA. Like, it's just, huh. it's kind of sad. Same. Because we started the podcast in late 2019. So we were yeah. hyped. We were like, we're going to go to all these conventions and conferences. And then we didn't like, go well, anywhere. Well, yeah. <laughs> we were so excited. We were like, you know we what kind of so events we're going to go to? We're going to be in these streets. <laughs> like. And now we're on Zoom in our homes. <laughs> so Jennifer, you've done like interviews now for the last you know 12 years since your first book came out or 13 years. Uh, I forget the math. We decided at the beginning, 12. Um <laughs> Is there anything that you wish that over the years people asked you about more in these interviews or, or things that you wished that you got to talk about more? You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like most interviews, like they, you know, I feel like there's, you do so many different types of interviews where there's maybe more of a focus on the book. Um, some are more on the focus of your career, others, you know, they go back and forth. I, I think all of them, do good. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, the board, I think the, the worst part about me is that I would, <laughs> this is terrible. I would rather talk about like other, other things. Like I'm autopsies. always like, yeah, like I could talk about, I could sit here all day and talk about autopsy or complain about the final season of game of Thrones five years later. I'm still going to be, Oh pissed. my God. Yeah. Girl, so I, I mean, complain about that season. Right? I'm, what so, a like, season. I need to start a podcast just about that. It's like, it just, you know, I think we actually probably covered it, actually. Um, I do, you know, I wish there was probably a bit more focus, like, on, like, the, the characters in my books that have, like, mental health struggles. Because I think that, you know, there's such a stigma still around this. And the more you talk about it, the more we can remove that stigma. But, you know, we did discuss that. So, um, you know, I think that probably would be something I wish people asked more, but I also understand that those things can be very hard to talk about because we do spend a lot of time. And I think this, unfortunately, um, home policing and how people talk about things that they get so tongue tied up when it, especially when you're talking about mental health, because there's no one similar experience, right? Like everybody experiences these things completely different. And we sometimes often get so caught up in how you should talk about it. Yes. That you end up, yeah. You end up silencing people because they're like, well, I don't want to say something wrong about how I feel about myself and then end up being made to feel worse. And, and every time I see this stuff and people often come as, or they speak as if they are an expert in this. And as somebody who went to school for this and worked, they feel, I can tell you right now, hundred percent. You're, you're not because you would not be discussing it this way because you would realize that the way you're talking about it, like, yes, you need to be careful of how you talk about certain things that you don't unintentionally influence someone, but you would know that not everybody is going to experience the same disease the same way. And when they're being honest and saying, this is how I feel. And then they end up, getting told, well, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't say that about yourself. It's like, first off, do you think they don't know that? <laughs> it's like, it's like, but it just, yeah. Cause I, I do understand those things are complicated because people don't want to inadvertently, you know, end up creating a bigger problem. I mean, I think that's like the beauty of fiction and putting it in your books though, is that uh, people can read it and identify with it or take pieces from it and not have it feel like an attack on their character or something they have to defend because it's in fiction. So it allows you to kind of like try on someone else's life experience, mm -hmm. like this fictional character's life experience. And then you see like, oh, you know what? I felt alone or I felt anxious or, oh my God, I would totally be freaking out just like she is or vice versa. Um, or maybe like, oh my God, I would be too nervous and she's being such a badass. Like you can learn things about yourself and, and me and Shawnee, of course, always talk about romance, your wants, your desires, et cetera. You can also learn about. And I think when it's in a book, right, it's not as heavy handed, right? You don't feel like you're, a t you're watching an after school special. <laughs> like it, 
Yeah. And so, cause I feel like when we think, when we know we're being taught something that we may not be comfortable with, we shut down. Right. <laughs> and, or when somebody hands holds a mirror to us, we tend to be like, no, that's not true. But often when you see it maybe playing out in a not, you know, a, a fictional world, you start seeing certain things that either helps you understand like other people better or maybe helps you recognize something inside you that you haven't been comfortable um, facing. And, you know, I, I feel like it's easier that way, right? I think that's also why sometimes comedy does have such an impact because, or, or comedy can be sometimes so educational because people will listen if you're making them laugh. Because you know how sometimes you listen to certain comedy shows and you're laughing and then you're like, wait, what, wait. <laughs> like, what did you just say? Like, and then you realize like they're saying often something like their shit, they're, they're kind of pulling the curtain back on the world, but they're doing it in a way that you, you're more likely to listen and not immediately go on the defense and shut down. I think, um, I think you make a great point because even though this is my pet peeve where people are like, people will say to me, like, Shani, I just went through the thing you went through and now I understand. And I'm always like, why did you have to go through it? for you to offer me empathy. Like I, it drives me insane, but sometimes I realize people do. And so when you, they get to hear that kind of thing in books and stories and whatever else, they kind of get to go through it in a like light, like a light version of it in order to offer people in the world, the empathy that I think that we should offer every day, you know? So thank you like so much for like talking to us. Uh, thanks for letting me pop in. I had some technical issues. Oh, but I, yeah, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you talking. I appreciate, I appreciate that you love autopsy. <laughs> I, appreciate you I don't think I've ever got to talk about that in any interview. So maybe that would be the question to be like, so I hear you like autopsy. <laughs> Say no more. Uh, well, dear listeners, until next time, you can get Jennifer's books wherever they sell books. And we'll also drop links to her latest books in the description of whatever app you happen to be listening on. And until next time, may your books be your lover. And your hand, your best friend. Bye for now, kids. Thanks for hanging in with us, romance readers. Head over to Instagram to continue chatting with us. We're super friendly. We want to cackle with you. We want to know what your favorite sex scene was. And we need more book recommendations. If you want to read along with us, go to our website, romanceataglance.com, to see what we're reading next. And we'll see you next podcast.